Welcome to Triumph and Disaster, a show dedicated to manly creativity and culture. Brought to you by your host, Cameron McHarg. Guys, we're back for another episode of Triumph and Disaster, and this week we have Miller Duvall, who is one of the founders of the Spirit Guild in Los Angeles, which is one of the only distilleries in the Los Angeles area. He makes vodka and gin, and he's going to be doing more soon. Not only that, he is also a screenwriter and a musician. He's a guitarist and the front man of a band called The Brunch Crowd. And um, I'll make sure to uh, put everything up on the blog, the Triumph and Disaster blog at the end, so you can check that out at the end. But uh, super cool guy. And uh, I've always been really interested in uh, in all things uh, alcohol. I've made my own beer before, and I'm interested in uh, in uh, how to brew and how to, how to make whiskey, how to make wine, all this sort of thing. So we talk quite a bit about that. Super cool guy, super cool art form. Hope you guys enjoy. This is Miller Duvall. We're on right now. I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> yeah, this is the way it is. So, Miller, we've known each other for about uh, five minutes. <laughs> That's it so far, which I kind of like to keep it that way because um, I want you to be able to sort of introduce yourself to everybody. But so you are, among other things, a distiller of uh, booze. Oh, it's local. I didn't even realize that. Oh really? Yeah. Is it gin that you guys make? What do you guys tell? What kind of what kind of spirits then? Is it? Okay. Are you well? Yeah. Of course. And uh, yeah, again, like our philosophy is to use um, stuff that's grown right here in California. So California doesn't grow a lot of grain. It's not really. Right. We're not the breadbasket in America. We're like the salad bowl of America. Right. So, um, and not to mention my family uh, has been farming in California for six generations. Oh, really? You're hardcore native here then. I always thought that um, that vodka was usually made out of like potatoes or grain or corn or something like that. I, I, I'm I'm probably showing how clueless I am about this, but that's what I. But not necessary. Okay. And then you distill that stuff up to a certain level of purity, and then it is just automatically vodka. It's vodka. It's alcohol. Yeah, there's a vodka made of milk. There's a vodka made of maple syrup. Um, it's all vodka. Um, the thing is, um, most vodkas out there in the market, they distill it way beyond. 
Uh huh. Because um, you know, if you're, if you're making your vodka at a corner grain, maybe you're not so keen on having people taste the the precursor ingredients to that. Right. Like, so oh, okay. So they're they're basically killing it. Basically, they're so going yeah, over. They're squashing all the yeah. Out and they're creating something that's like ethanol and water. <laughs> and you know, and then the, the pitch is that that is better. You know, uh, that's the best vodka. It's super neutral. But um, you know, and, and that pitch works to their advantage, but. So you have some hints. Yes, yeah, actual hints of, of something. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to add. That's juniper root or something, right? Is that berries? What? berries. Yeah. Okay, berries for gin. Yeah. I'll say, but go yeah. ahead. Okay. Okay. It's a little more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to try it. <laughs> no, it's not the time probably right now. But <laughs> I usually subscribe to that too. But that, that so I mean, I you hear a lot about like how there's a lot of, and, and this is usually from people who really don't know, like myself, but you hear a lot of back and forth about vodka, like, uh, like it, like whatever you get in the well, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's the same thing as what you'd pay like for whatever's behind the, the good stuff behind the bar or like. They're all, you know, triple filtered makes it all the same thing or something like that. So this is not, this is not, this is coming from like someone like myself who has no clue. And I, I is there any, there's no truth to that really. Actually sip it. Yeah. Yeah. Does the filtering have something to do with that too? Or is it actually the, the ingredients is what matters the most, what you start with and how, how hard, how much you distill it to the, how far you take it. That's what it is. Yeah. That started with something not so great. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. 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 Wow. Yeah, you can kind of put your imprint on it. 
print on it that way. I mean, hey, if that's what you want to make, that's great. More power to you. And then you can release it that way. But that's the truth of how a lot of this sausage is made then. Yeah, exactly. Behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, you know, then you think that a lot of vodka and gin out there made by smaller people, you know, sometimes they're, um, you know, like a, a whiskey distillery will, um, will launch with a vodka and gin. But these guys don't really care about vodka and gin that much. You know, they're just doing it. Something on the side. Some revenue right. Barrel-aged or other stuff. So, you know, you have to be kind of careful. I mean, a lot of, some vodka is, I think, mostly the European vodka, because I don't think you can do it here in the States. Uh, but out of it is in, in like glycerin or saccharin. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. And so there's a, I won't get into the dirty details, but there are some pretty main brands out there that have a reputation for having adulterants in there. And, and it gives it like more of a mouthfeel and, and more. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Are these, do these, without naming any brands or names, are these uh, sort of kind of newer, sort of trendier ones, or are these like older established ones, like no, Russian, old Russian, Russian ones? or? Premium on okay. Yeah. Huh. Uh huh. Right. Okay. So if like if the distiller thinks that the, the cognac he's releasing doesn't have enough barrel flavor, he'll make a little kind of barrel tincture and kind of like add that into the, the okay. cognac to, to um to achieve the perfect balance he's looking for. And here it might be considered like oh like cheating, cheating. exactly. Yeah. Like I I that's like hey man, like that's that's just part of the craft. Yeah, yeah, this this is like what you want. It's part of the alchemical formula. Like I had a buddy who uh uh, I'm obviously not going to say his name, but he has a still in his garage and he makes whiskey. And uh, I tried some of it and it was clear. I was like, what the, I didn't, I thought whiskey was, uh, was you know, it's, it's brown. And that's what he said. He said, well, that actually comes later. Same. clear huh but does the barrel aging give any flavor or is it does the brown give flavor or is it or is it just aesthetic like visually aesthetic or it's both yeah yeah Yeah. But, you know, that Jameson is kind of like a cartoonish a version of, of what uh, a barrel would do to a whiskey. It's very vanilla. Right, like right. Butterscotchy almost, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's, or, you know, like a, a Chardonnay wine, right? It's like a, a nice oak. Right, flavor. right. I mean, that oak flavor. Comes from Somewhere. the oak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, barrels are charred, too. So, oh, I didn't know that. Um, you have to 
But see, this is the stuff that I love. This is the stuff that I, I, I really love. Like, I made, I made beer once, and I loved it. I loved learning about all these. Uh, it's because it's an art. It really is an art. And and uh, like for example, going to like you know you go to wine country or you go to some some winery and you walk in and it's all the barrels and the the smell. And I don't know much about wine. I, I don't even pretend to know much about wine. I like something or I don't. But I don't. But there's something about being in that that makes you feel like. It's such an art form and there's so much to it that I want to be, I want to know more about this whole process. This, it's, this little touch of this, this little touch of that. It's, it's like a, it's, it's a mad scientist coming up with this thing. Right. 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 Exactly. But if you actually kind of get back to the process and learn a little bit about the, you know, terroir and the personalities behind this. Yeah. Oh, there's so much to it. It's so fascinating. Yeah. From the ingredients on. And to Yeah. I mean, I'm not like I've talked to I've talked to a guy who was like a real whatever you want to call it a connoisseur, an expert, I guess you would call it. And he was he kind of he was like, you know, you don't have to freaking you don't have to worry about all these these words that we're talking about, you know, oh notes of black cherry or whatever. I mean, or rest in your mouth, you know, whatever. He, he's he, you know, you like it or you don't. And then you can describe it any way that you want. It's not like you have to, you know, you have to, you're going to be an idiot if you don't like have this certain, uh, this certain um, vocabulary for it. But I think it applies to everything though too. It's not just wine, obviously. It applies to beer. It applies to, to what you're doing. And I'm kind of curious how you, how, did you start off like making beer or anything like that or wine or how did you end up, how did you get into doing this in the first place? Or did you jump straight into making uh, gin? Okay. So I was there for the kind of, uh, I don't know if it was the first wave, but it was, it was a wave of cocktail appreciation. I was like, the movie Swingers had just come out. Right. Oh, the whole martini thing. And, exactly. Yeah. So I worked in this place that was all about like, kind of, uh, big bands and that right. kitschy, old-timey. Um, I remember apple martinis were big in the 90s for a little while there. Yeah. <laughs> Old school. Yeah, so I was in San Francisco, so I was working at this place called Bruno's. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was totally buying into that whole, you know, um, swing, you know, kind of swingers thing. Yeah. And then um, I was also working in a microbrewery called the Twenty Tank Brewery, which is ah, cool. There. I love. Um, yeah. Anyway, but that's a whole different thing. Yeah, so I, you know, in the '90s, I kind of caught that excitement, and also living in San Francisco in the '90s too, like I uh, kind of saw the impact that. Um, that local cuisine was having not only there but in the world. So Alice Waters, you know, uh, her Chez Panisse, uh, you know, was this inspiration to me. I've never actually been there before, but I've been there. What are these places? What is this? I'll, I'll, I'll throw this up on the blog. This is a okay. couple things I don't even know about, so, and maybe other people don't either. So, so yeah, so like back in the 70s, like, mm-hmm. think about how people ate. Like, people, uh, 
French cuisine. Okay. Ruled the roost. Like, if you wanted to go out and have a, a good dinner, it was going to be all about, like, the mother sauces and all that French right. cooking technique. Right. And then at some point in the 70s, uh, in Berkeley, this woman and her friends opened this restaurant called Chantanese. Okay. And she um, pioneered this idea of using stuff in local farms. And okay, okay. Right. And so, and you know, some people could say that maybe Alice Waters gets too much credit for this, but you know, she was a, a major, major part of this movement that you know was pretty much informing how we eat today. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just the fact that she, um, you know, pioneered that style of cuisine. She also was very generous with the people who worked for her, and uh, you know, allowed them a lot of freedom. And then when people wanted to leave, they would start their own restaurants, and they'd become these kind of like satellite places. And she'd sort of encourage that. And- yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't mean to like make this, you know, too much of a what, what uh, hagiography is hanging out. It doesn't matter. I didn't know that. Yeah. I know you're a musician, by the way, which we want to touch on. But tell me about so what's the deal with the film stuff? Um, I had this screenplay that I wrote when I was 27 that got a lot of attention, and uh, interestingly enough, it, it got a lot of attention in France of all places. So um, I was living in New York and flying back and forth to Paris for a time, doing rewrites and doing meetings and stuff. So um, they were it was French money. They were interested in yeah, yeah, making this thing. Okay. And directors. Yeah. I was a celebrity out there. Like, I was getting autographs and stuff. What the hell? Yeah. And they're flying me in these little beach towns. What the? Tell me more about this. This is nuts. Uh-huh. And was it was it produced? It got so close to being produced. In fact, you know, um, it was even like, you know, announced in sort of the People magazine of of, of France. Yeah. And uh, Jean Dujardin, who ended up winning an Oscar here, was uh, slated to play the, the lead role. Um, and um, it, it fell through at the last minute. It was heartbreaking. Oh uh, yeah, I have. I understand that. I've had a similar experience. Or something fell through similar, and uh, yeah, I was. It happens all the time, but that doesn't help me. <laughs> it wrecked. I was wrecked for months. Oh uh, yeah, it was. It all fell victim to this kind of like bullshit Oedipal drama between like my producer and his boss. Oh no, that's why it was that kind of a reason. Yeah, it was really stupid. But um, the good news is, is that screenplay is once again in yeah. development in France from a different company. Now. Oh shit! It's that far along. Uh, yeah. Holy shit! Congratulate. What? So. I mean, you know, sure. And uh, you can't say who is circling it or anything at this point, or. And it would be. And it's it's going to be in in French language. Okay. Okay. 
They're they're hoping for an aging Jerry Lewis to uh, <laughs> to start. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure that I'm sure it's been rewritten extensively. I have no idea if I'll even recognize what's up on the screen. That's super exciting, though. What what's the what would be the English translation of the title again? Robot the seed. Robot the. Yeah, robot aside. Okay. Okay. Robot the seed. Okay, like homicide for robot. Robot the seed. We got to look out for that. That's super cool. Yeah. Uh That must have been kind of nice to get your feet back on the ground, though, a little bit. To go back, literally, back to a, a farm from that whole crazy back and forth, have, having the rug pulled out from any you know experience with the the script and all that. Yeah. From that world, as exciting as it is, it's kind of nice to to be able to. I mean, literally, a farm. You can't get much more grounded than that. That's cool. But anyway. Yeah, even to this day, it's a place I love to go. Yeah. It is, you know, but yeah, it's got to work, too. I mean, there's economics behind it. I mean. Sure. Yeah, and there's real estate development going on all around it in Bakersfield, too. And it's like, you know, sometimes it feels like it's under threat. Uh-huh. It's just like all the old movies. Oh, the bankers are going to force in and yeah. <laughs> close down the farm. Yeah, well, but it really happens. Really? Ah, dude, that's, that's sad. Oh fuck! Also, these guys, these guys can build these like you know gated communities. Yeah. Um, that uh, you know, I mean, they certainly take. I mean, Bakersfield was one of the fastest growing cities. Uh, you know, pre pre recession, pre crash. Uh huh. And um, and you know now it seems like yeah, once again, real estate's kind of like you know leading the way. So you're being yeah. surrounded by this stuff and killing the whole soul of the. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so you got so you went there and you were trying to figure figure things out after the after um, the script debacle. Yeah, um, I think that's, that's accurate. And so one day I was up there, you know, and I came back to LA and I was at the bar with my wife, and we were like, you know, God, you know, just looking, you know, looking behind the bar. Well, what are we gonna have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here we are in California. It's like the most diverse agricultural place 
uh, in the world, and, and, and you know, and it's also um, holds this kind of reputation for being this like special magical land with its own right. innovative spirit. Right. Um, and uh, considering that, it was just weird that, that there wasn't really anything behind the bar that really reflected that. Right. And right. So Okay. So they're importing it from the Midwest most likely. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I started thinking, like, wow, what would a California, like, an endemic California spirit right. taste like? Like, you know, and then, so doing a little research, like, back in the 49, you know, the 49er era, uh-huh. around the time that, you know, my great, great, great grandfather showed up to California, people were really into brandy and pisco. Brandy and what? Pisco. I don't even know what that is. Oh. Yeah, I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> um, pisco is uh, uh, an unaged uh, grape brandy made in Peru. Okay. Uh, or Chile. Okay. Of course, there's some pretty intense rivalry between those guys, and they both have their different ways of making it. All right. But at its like most, I would I won't say authentic, but at, it, at its most kind of stripped down, pisco is uh, made of like three different kinds of grapes. One of three different kinds of grapes. And they distill it once through, um, I think maybe just a pot still. Which, you know, if you're making like a brandy, that is like flying without a net. That's like very rock and roll. Right? Uh huh. You can probably set it on fire. Well, it's just, let's just <laughs> say that there's no margins for error. Oh, I see. Flavor wise. Right. Um, um, in fact, you know, since you're using kind of a, an old timey inefficient still, it's probably less flammable than something else. Okay. It is so inefficient, but you know most like brandies uh, in the European tradition are double distilled. So you have one pass to kind of like you know create like a pretty good right foundation for what you're gonna do, and then like, like a refining one. Really get exactly what you want. Right. Pisco, um, you just do. I mean, again, in, in some versions, you just do it once, and you gotta do it all right the first time. Right. And then you don't even have the the. Um, so you really got to know what you're doing when you pull the trigger there. Yeah. I want to try that. That sounds pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Pisco sour. So Pisco. I don't know how I didn't know that. Yeah. Right, right. Interesting. I gotta look that up. Well, I'll put that up too. Whatever. I'll yeah. put something about Pisco up on the blog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you were talking about brandy and Pisco. Oh, oh and the Forty Nine er guys, and all, and that's what they were drink. So they weren't drinking whiskey and beer. They were drinking Pisco and brandy. That's right. Yeah. Huh. Who would have known? Huh. I would have never guessed that. Old school. Huh. 
stuff. What's here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, making great wine rather than kind of mediocre brandy. Okay. And um, I, I, I don't really know why the Ernest and Julio Galas of the world and, and the other Christian brothers of the world didn't step up their game and start making great brandy. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah. But they didn't. Um, but now you, you were thinking about taking that up. That really is a good question. That, yeah, that hasn't like happened in a... Us. Yeah. And it's been that way for decades. But, you know, those decades have been kind of part of the kind of post-war philosophy, mm-hmm. which is like efficiency. Right, right. We're going to, pre- you know, premium, premium, premium products means important products. Like, you know, the good beer is the Heineken. Not right. Stuff. So, of course, that... That's changing gears. That tide is, is yeah. Concerning. That's really, really cool. Yeah, thanks, yeah, that's really cool, and it's it's uh it's not that common yet with with uh with spirits with like, I mean it is it is with beer. That's been a wave for quite a while with local you know microbreweries and beers and, and even wines to some extent, but not with uh not with spirits. I mean you're only there's only a isn't, there's only like a couple in, in 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 the L.A. area. Am I wrong? Of uh craft distilleries. Yeah, and in general, I think there's not really it's not it's not um, as as common or as popular as like like micro brews, for example, that are local. Yeah, you don't see as many. So you're, I know that like they're they're making moonshine and stuff like that, and like uh, in the south and a lot of smaller like you know like bourbons and things like that are coming out of there. But yeah, not here, not here so much. Yeah, New York. New York. Yeah. That's that's what I heard. I mean, legally, it's not an easy thing either, right? Yeah. Is that like old school prohibition law kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not e- like I the same friend actually that I mentioned that made made whiskey on the side. I talked to him about uh, actually making triumph and disaster like for the show whiskey like combining and selling this whiskey or beer and he was like beer maybe but the whiskey thing he was talking he just said the laws are so crazy and so like they really almost discourage you it may, they make it really difficult to. To make and sell whiskey, as opposed to beer. Beer is much easier, and it has something to do with these like prohibition laws or something. Yeah, you can make beer in your 
like like Carter, I think. Isn't it Carter, I think, that overturned that? Yeah, like in 79 or something. <laughs> right, and, and you can make your own beer. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so if anybody had a disrespect for Carter, that ought to change your mind. Um, so what, like... Is the process itself, and we and we don't have to keep talking, but I'm I'm am genuinely curious about this. Is it is it? To me, it seems like uh, when you're talking about like making whiskey or something like that, like that, or scotch or something, and you're talking about all the like peat and barrels and all this whatever. It seems like a pretty complicated process to me, and uh, the way that you are making your gin and vodka sounds a little more complicated than a more industrial version would. Uh, what is is the process relatively simple, or is it overall? I mean, or is it is it? I mean, I don't even know how it's. Can you, in a nutshell, kind of say how it's done? Well, I mean, it's definitely more complicated when we do everything yourself. Right? Yeah. So we do all of the fermentation in house. The fermentation is a big. You do everything in your. Yeah, we don't always do the juicing. That's one thing that we. But okay. Right. You know, sparge it and all that stuff. You basically have to, you know, um, you have to roast the barley. I mean, a lot of brewers don't go that far. They outsource that. But, uh-huh. um, you know, to, to coax sugar out of grain, it's kind of a hassle. There's heat involved. Um, if you're working with uh, fruit juice, the sugar's already there. And so it's okay. a matter of taking that juice, um, adding yeast to it, you use the champagne yeast, and, and letting it go. And, 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 and this kind of dovetails nicely back to where we were in the sort of inception story of the distillery. Uh-huh. That was our kind of first question that we asked ourselves when we were sitting at that bar that day. Uh, or it was our first kind of hypothesis. Oh, the reason why no one's making booze out of citrus in California is because it can't be done. Something about citrus makes it really, really hard to ferment. And, you know, it's like, it, there's, I don't know, citric acid or something. Uh-huh. And... Started doing some experiments, and no, that's not true. Um, citrus ferments uh, wonderfully, and I have to give my brother a shout out here. My brother went to UC Davis in fermentation science. Oh, nice! And uh, he was not a, he's not a brewer now, but he was a, a pro brewer, and uh, he gave us a lot of help. So, go Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Thanks <laughs> for what you've done for all of us here. <laughs> And that was it. And then, yeah, I, was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, so we um, fermented ourselves some, um, some cuties. We got some generous cuties. Uh, my family grows them, you know, and uh, mercots or, uh, you know, clementines. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, for, you know, created a, a beautiful kind of wine out of it. And then it was just a matter of us learning how to distill from there, you know. And is that pretty complex once the, the, the process simple, yeah yeah okay okay and then so you mentioned you mentioned okay so you do gin and vodka and you mentioned possibly doing uh yeah, so a, a, a brand So, so over time, 
my, my wife, who's from Vancouver, okay. Oregon, um, got interested in like making a gin, which really wasn't on the top of my list. I, I was uh, sort of interested in, in other pursuits, but uh, her gin making skills are powerful. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, God bless her. So, but how did she, her, so how did she, she knew, she just did a little research on her own and then started experimenting with some things? Yeah. And then, and you just came up with your own, you just like making soup or something. You just kind of threw different things in there, different things in there until you got something that was right? I mean, the amount of variables uh, you have to consider in the making of a gin is endless, enormous. There's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Do you... And what, okay, are you, are you, but you've settled on one thing that you do now that, and you are going to do a different type for, I don't, oh, of course. Well, yeah. A recipe that we're going to stick with. Yeah. Or a flagship. Yeah. Actual Pacific gin. But down the road, we'd love to make some variations on it. Can you get your stuff, by the way, uh, online? If you don't live in LA, can you get, is there a way to get your stuff or is it, is it, is it still? Uh huh. And they'll find wines and spirits or something like that. And they ship, but not everywhere. So if you live in New York, you're out of luck. But if you live in Wyoming, I think you're okay. It just depends. Interesting. Internationally, they do some countries. So it's through a distributor. Not, it's not directly from like your website or something. You can't send it out. our distillery and buy from us. Okay. But you don't ship directly. We cannot ship. Is that, that's a legal thing. It's a legal thing. So okay. Remember, remember those um, big brandy producers we were talking about a few minutes ago? Yeah. Okay. Okay. We don't really set, I mean, our vodka and gin, they truly are a vodka and gin, but they're made of fruit. So under certain sort of, you know, categorization, you know, a, a certain analysis, they're it's considered brandy. Huh. So, so by the state. So we can sell retail to people, provided they're not out there to, like, you know, turn it around and make money. Yeah. Them. Yeah. So. so we can sell cases. If you want to have a party, we can sell you a case. You just can't charge for it. Okay. But you can, when you say sell a case, that's like in person, like walking in and buying a case. So like if we, so if I like have listeners all over, like even in like the UK or wherever else, you're going to have to have a buddy come buy it in LA and ship it out there right as right now. That's the way it is for right now. Really? Yeah. KNL. Okay. Okay, I'm going to have to put that link up there. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're, if you're in Glasgow, you can probably pick it up. <laughs> oh, that's cool. All right, you guys. For whatever reason, I have a bunch of listeners in Scotland, so. In UK, so maybe, uh, and we, you know, they like to put, you know, throw a few back once in a while, so. You guys got to try this stuff. <laughs> exactly. So you, I also want to say, so at the end, you know, we get to the end of our talk here. How long have we been going on here? We're probably, how long have we been talking? About 40 minutes? All right. Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll pause it. All right, we're back. So um, 
what is, are there any like uh what's what's the best way what's the best way to drink vodka or gin? Is there is there like a certain old school is there a traditional way? Is there a way that's like that's looked at like uh looked down upon? <laughs> you know, is there a way is it just neat? Is it with is there a certain mix? What do you I mean, what do you think? What do you is there any tradition with these things? Chilled, not chilled, whatever. If you want to do it right. Yeah, of course. Well, we're just talking about your. Well, we could talk about the other guys if you want, but let's talk about yours. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. I got to look those up. I don't even know what goes in there. When, how do you order that martini? You just say extra vermouth, or is there a way of saying that? Is that what you say? Is it that much vermouth? You you want to go fifty fifty? Really? I've never had one like that. I I don't know. I mean, I know what it is, but not literally what it's from. I mean, I've I've never had that much vermouth, so I don't even have any idea. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Absinthe, right? Isn't that absinthe? I think it is. Okay, right. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna try that next time because I, I like to have a martini once in a while. Yeah, I want to. I want to try that. No, I'm glad you said that. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, just is that the be, what, what would be the best way to do yours? Same thing with vodka. With the vodka martini, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's nice to know tradition and like, you know, I, I like to, I appreciate that. Even if I don't like it, I want to see what it is. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to try it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't out of the freezer. Yeah. Okay. Throw a bottle in the freezer. And is, what do you think about just, uh, so chilled vodka, just neat? With yours, it sounds different. Yours, I would like to do that. Any others, I, I don't, I wouldn't think you'd get too much of a variation, but the way that you describe yours, I'm really interested in seeing what that is. You know? Right. 
Okay. I never thought of it. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier. I've never heard of that. That's crazy. Where does that come from? Is that from a certain country or something? Huh. Yeah. Huh. Different texture to it. Oh, okay. So it's a fucking... This is what I mean by this. This is why I think it's such an art form. All these little things, all these little details and variations. You know, I I, I think what you're doing... Like I've talked to a guy, like I mentioned to you before we uh, started recording. We just talked for like five minutes, but I talked to Fred. Um, this guy from Blitz Motorcycles in Paris, the custom motorcycle guy. I think he's an artist. I think he's an artist in what he does. He didn't seem, he didn't seem to think, ah, you know, I don't think so, but it's the same with you. And that's just why I wanted to talk to you. I mean, what you guys do, I, I guess similar to cooking, maybe in a way is an art form, which I think is really fascinating. But I also know that you do, you are an artist. You do some other things. You, you're a writer. We just, I just found out, but you're also a musician as well. Yeah. For how long, all your life or how long you've been doing that? <laughs> so you're a guitarist? I'm, I'm, a guitar, I'm a guitar player, yeah, um, and uh, I play a little piano, but yeah, I, I've always been interested in like, um, In music, you know what? This is something I just had a conversation about with my girlfriend the other night. How uh, we were so fascinated. We were listening to War on Drugs, if you know, and we were, for example, and we were like, "How the fuck? How?" I'm just so fascinated how this came together. How these, this group of guys somehow were drawn to each other and knew exactly what they all wanted to do. It's like this weird recipe that has to come together, and then there has to be like a an unspoken sort of agreement with exactly the kind of feeling and mo- I just think it's fascinating when a band comes together, like how that happens. It seems like magic to me. And <laughs> I think you're right. I think probably quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Well, it could be, any, it could be anybody though, but you know what I mean? Like if, it, if something comes together, it's, it really is kind of magic because it's not one person, you know, it, it's like four or five people that are all on board with some certain thing. And I think that's really interesting. So it's got to be difficult to, to, that's a whole other subject, but to bring that together and to hold it together. You felt like you didn't have the right to to sing. You felt like you it wasn't in your wasn't your place to or something somehow. I got it. I understand. So it was out of respect for the craft in a way. Is that what you mean? Like you felt like you hadn't paid your. 
Okay. <laughs> but, right. Before you can assume, you can just step up and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Were you scared shitless? You just have to do it over again and again, right? But how were you scared the first time you did it? You saw it? Were you freaked out a little bit? Or? But something made you do it. You had something that you really had something that you had you wanted to get across or a feeling that you had. Yeah. Did you feel Did you feel lost or like you weren't yourself during that time when you weren't doing it? Did you feel Do you remember? Okay, doing other things. <laughs> well, you know, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> but something was missing that you came back when you started that you realized when you uh, picked it back up. Right. It's worth sharing. Getting up for the sake of getting up. Right. If it wasn't. No, no, exactly. No, but if you weren't a little bit weird, it wouldn't be fucking interesting. And it probably wouldn't have any. It wouldn't be worth saying. If it was, that's kind of a common denominator with most creative people. I mean, it, weird is a good thing. When you look out at the world and what is not weird or what is normal is, uh, to me, not, not, not what I want to be, <laughs> not what I want to listen to. <laughs> so that's a good quality. Yeah. 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 Right. No, I love that. Why haven't you? Uh, this has been a very clean talk. You haven't thrown in any uh, f bombs or anything in here. Or Have you? Okay. All right. All right. Don't disappoint me. <laughs> you throw a couple in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> those fucking grapes. <laughs> uh, so what? So do you play? You still play often? What's the name of your band, man? What is it again? Do you guys have a site? Okay, I'm gonna put that up. 
Really? Can we find you? <laughs> yeah, that's sure. Yeah. something every day or do you, do you pick up the guitar a little bit a few minutes as busy as you are do you find or do you have anything any other kind of sort of a practice that you do every day that's sort of a discipline like a creative discipline of any kind uh-huh well shit I, that's another thing that <laughs> for what like you contribute to like are you Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, journaling, like journaling. But that's what I mean, though, as a daily practice, like something like that, even. Okay. Often. I think that's important, though. Just let things percolate and I think that's that's probably true for screenwriting too or writing like if uh, you have an idea but maybe it's not clear sometimes it just kind of cooks and but and all of a sudden you know you need maybe a month or maybe a year or longer and all of a sudden everything is sort of almost appears in a whole form after a while without you even really consciously thinking about it after a while yeah but you know the story let's say some fermentation <laughs> well we're I think we're yeah man we're about an hour so is there anything uh, that I didn't talk about or anything or ask you about that you might want to talk about or mention or sites or any of that kind of stuff? I'll put everything up on the, the blog is uh, triumphanddisasterblog.com. So I'll put everything up there. But if there's anything that you want to say or mention. Yeah. 
big a distillery and actually made it happen in LA. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that was a huge challenge. But uh, with, yeah, with, with some, you know, but but no, not really. I mean, it was, didn't have to pay off any politicians or anything like that. Cool. That's that's fucking badass. That's like the best life you can think of, right? You're you're running a distillery and you're a musician. <laughs> I hope so too, man. And uh, keep in touch with me and let me know about that, way Because if it happens, I wanna, I wanna, kind of keep everybody posted on that thing. That would be really cool. I think that's super cool. No, I haven't, but I fully plan to. <laughs> I'm in. Oh, dude! I, I everybody you know I've we've I've uh, had uh, conversations with people while imbibing on this on this show more than once, and uh, the logo is of a guy taking a pull off a bottle, basically an old an old timey looking guy. So there's no uh, mystery in the fact that I'll be I'll be paying your place a visit at some point, and I hope everybody else does too. So I'll put all the information up. Uh, so if you're in town and and uh, K and K and something the K and L. Yeah. For now. Right. What can make your day better? Thanks, man. Thanks so much. Really good to talk to you. Thanks. So that was Miller Duvall, you guys, and I will go ahead and put all those links. We talked about a lot of different stuff, um, about different booze and uh, about the Spirit Guild, his distillery, and uh, about his band, the Brunch Crowd, and also how to get a hold of uh, how to order his booze at the KNL KNL Wine Merchants. I'll put a link up at Triumph and Disaster Blog. So make sure you go up to triumphanddisasterblog.com and uh, you can uh, find out how to get his stuff and. Um, and where the Spirit Guild is. If you happen to be in Los Angeles, make sure to drop by there and uh, pick up a bottle. Hope you guys enjoyed this. I really liked uh, I really liked my talk with Miller. And um, by the time you hear this, you can probably safely assume that I've uh, I've been by uh, the distillery to uh, imbibe a little myself. <laughs> and thanks for listening. And make sure to go to triumphanddisasterblog.com. And uh, I'm Cameron McCarg. We'll see you next week. Thanks.